0: Chapter Fourteen of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter Fourteen. Relating how Puddock purged O'Flaherty's head. A chapter which it is hoped no genteel person will read. Rum disagreed with O'Flaherty confoundedly, but being sanguine and also of an obstinate courage not easily to be put down, and liking that fluid and being young withal, he drank it defiantly and liberally whenever it came in his way. So this morning he announced to his friend Puddock that he was suffering under a headache that had burst up hot. The gallant fellow's stomach too was qualmish and disturbed. He heard of breakfast with loathing puddick rather imperiously insisted on his drinking some tea which he abhorred and of which in very imperfect clothing and with deep groans and occasional imprecations of that beastly claret to which he chose to ascribe his indisposition he drearily partook i tell you what sir said puddick finding his patient nothing better and not relishing the notion of presenting his man in that seedy condition upon the field i've got a remedy a very simple one it used to do wonder for my poor uncle Negle, who loved rum shrub though it gave him the headache always and sometimes the gout and puddick had up mrs hogg his landlady and ordered a pair of little muslin bags about the size of a pistol cartridge each which he promised to prepare in five minutes and he himself tumbled over the leaves of his private manuscript quarto a desultory and miscellaneous album stuffed with sonnets on celia's eye a lock of hair or a pansy here and there pressed between the pages birthday verses addressed to saccharissa receipts for puptins, farces etc and several for toilet luxuries angelica water THE QUEEN OF HUNGARY'S DITTO, SERFET WATERS, AND FINALLY THAT HE WAS IN SEARCH OF, TO WIT, MY GREAT-AUNT BELL'S RECIPE FOR PURGING THE HEAD, GOOD AGAINST MELANCHOLY OR THE HEADACHE. YOU ARE NOT TO SUPPOSE THAT THE VOLUME WAS SLOVENLY OR IN ANY WISE UNWORTHY OF A GENTLEMAN AND OFFICER OF THOSE DAYS. IT WAS BOUND IN RED AND GOLD, HAD TWO HANDSOME SILVER GILT CLIPS, and red edges, the writing being exquisitely straight and legible, and without a single blot, I have them all except two, three. murmured the thoughtful puddick when he read over the list of ingredients. these, however, he got from tool close at hand, and with a little silver grater and a pretty little agate pocket pestle and mortar, an heirloom derived from poor Aunt Bell he made a wonderful powder nutmeg and ginger cinnamon and cloves as the song says and every other stinging product of nature and chemistry which the author of this famous family purge for the head could bring to remembrance and certainly it was potent with this the cartridges were loaded the ends tied up and o'flaherty placed behind a table on which stood a basin Commenced the serious operation, under Pudick's directions, by introducing a bag at each side of his mouth, which, as a man of honor, he was bound to retain there until Pudick had had his morning tete a tete with the barber. Those who please to consult old domestic receipt books of the last century will find the whole process very exactly described therein. Be the powers, sir, that was the stuff," said O'Flaherty discussing the composition afterwards, with an awful shake of his head. My chops were blazoned before you could count twenty. It was martyrdom, but anything was better than the incapacity which threatened, and certainly by the end of five minutes his head was something better. In this satisfactory condition, Jerome, being in the back garden, brushing his regimentals, and preparing his other properties, he suddenly heard voices close to the door, and gracious powers. One was certainly Magnolia's. That born devil Jody Carroll blazed forth. O'Flaherty afterwards pushed open the door. It served me right for not being in my bedroom, and the door locked. The a thought there was such a cruel idiot on earth. Bad luck to her, as to show a lady into a gentleman with scarcely the half of his clothes on and undergoing a sort of an operation i may say happily the table behind which he stood was one of those old-fashioned toilet affairs with the back part which was turned toward the door sheeted over with wood so that his ungartered stockings and rascally old slippers were invisible even so it was bad enough He was arrayed in a shabby old silk rocalaire, and there was a towel upon his breast, pinned behind his neck. He had just a second to pop the basin under the table, and to whisk the towel violently from under his chin, drying that feature with merciless violence. When the officious Judy Carroll, grand chamberlain in Jerome's absence, with the facetious grin of a good-natured lady. About to make two people happy, introduced the bewitching Magnolia and her meek little uncle, Major O'Neill. In they came, rejoicing to ask the gallant fireworker, it was a different element just now, to make one of a party of pleasure to lickslip O'Flaherty could not so much as hand the young lady a chair to emerge from behind the table or even to attempt a retreat, was of course not to be thought of in the existing state of affairs the action of puddick's recipe was such as to make his share in the little complimentary conversation that ensued very indistinct and to oblige him to his disgrace and despair when the poor fellow tried to smile actually to apply his towel hastily to his mouth he saw that his visitors observed those symptoms with some perplexity The major was looking steadfastly at O'Flaherty's lips, and unconsciously making corresponding movements with his own, and the fair Magnolia was evidently full of pleasant surprise and curiosity. I really think, if O'Flaherty had had a pistol within reach, he would have been tempted to deliver himself summarily from that agonizing situation. "'I'm afraid, lieutenant, you've got the toothache,' said Miss Mag with her usual agreeable simplicity in his alacrity to assure her there was no such thing he actually swallowed one of the bags Twas no easy matter and he grew very red and stared frightfully and swallowed a draught of water precipitately his misery was indeed so great that at the conclusion of a polite little farewell speech of the major's he uttered an involuntary groan and lively miss mag with an odious titter exclaimed the little creature's teethin, uncle assures you're not either that or he's got a hot potato in his poor little mousy-wousy and poor o'flaherty smiled a great silent moist smile at the well-bred pleasantry the major who did not choose to hear mag's banter made a formal but rather smiling salute the lieutenant returned it and down came the unlucky mortar and a china plate on which puddick had mingled the ingredients with a shocking crash and jingle on the bare boards a plate and mortar never made such a noise before o'flaherty thought with a mental imprecation nothing hash appened sure said o'flaherty whose articulation was affected a good deal in terror Lest the Major should arrest his departure, so the Major and tall Miss Magnolia, with all her roses and lilies and bold, broad talk and her wicked eyes, went down the stairs and O'F flaherty, looking with lively emotion in the glass at the unbecoming coup eel, heard that agreeable young lady laughing most riotously under the windows as she and the Major marched away. It was well for Judy that, being of the gentler sex, the wrath of the fireworker could not wreak itself upon her. The oftener he viewed himself in the pier glass, trying in vain to think he did not look so very badly after all, the more bitter were his feelings. Oh, that villainous old silk morning gown, and his eyes so confoundedly red, and his hair all dishevelled. Bad luck to that claret the wig was all right that was his only comfort and his mouth ach look at it twice its normal size though there was no trifle another week i'll not stop in her lodgings cried poor o'flaherty grinning at himself in the glass if she keeps that savage judy carroll here a day longer then he stumbled to the stairhead, to call up for judgment But changed his mind and returned to the looking glass, blowing the cooling air in short whistles through his peppered lips, and I'm sorry to say, blowing out also many an ejaculation and invective as that sorry sight met his gaze in the oval mirror, which would have been much better not uttered. End of chapter fourteen, recording by John Brandon.